You're listening to a message from Pastor Jack Holt at the River. Tonight I'm going to be ministering to you on a topic that I think is really powerful because here's what happens to a lot of people. A lot of people get into the Word of God, they find a promise, they petition God, they put a request up before God, and they hold on to it in faith, but because it doesn't always manifest within the timeline they think, many of them will give up on it because they assume that if it didn't come when they wanted it to come, it wasn't God's will. But we don't learn what God's will is based on how fast what he promises comes or, or delayed. We base it on the word of God. Are you following me? And I want you to remember this because when you study the Bible, especially New Testament, you find the works of Jesus. And it says that if you believe on him, we'll do the works he has done, right? But you need to remember that Jesus had the spirit without measure. We have the spirit with measure. Corporately in the church, it's, it's without measure. But individually, it's with measure. And Jesus himself, it took 24 hours to curse the fig tree and have it changed where it fell over. Probably the longest miracle he ever had was three days and three nights in the belly of the earth until God resurrected him. But most of his stuff was very, very fast. And so don't get discouraged just because the timeline isn't what you thought it was. And don't think because it didn't happen when you thought it was supposed to happen that it's not God's will for you. In Scripture, whenever there is a timeline for it to happen, God always tells you what that timeline is. Like with Abraham, he said, this time next year, your wife's going to have a baby. Well, he knew right then in, in, nine, or in a year, he was going to have a baby, and in three months, she would conceive. He knew that because God told him that. But many of the promises of God, God does not give us a timeline, so we just simply have to hold on to it until it happens. Are you with me so far? All right. Look with me over to Romans chapter 3, and I want to give you some basic uh, doctrine here because I believe that this will help you understand how salvation is worked out of your life. Look here in uh, what Paul says. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all, who believe, for there is no difference. For all who have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now, what I want you to see from those texts is that Paul's making a very strong point. He's saying, listen, guys, the way a person is justified before God or a way that a person is saved is not by doing the law. It's a different righteousness that comes from his son, Jesus. And our salvation is a direct result of us believing in the salvation that Jesus provided for us. There's nothing that you do to get saved except believe in Christ. Can you say amen? amen. So you have in Scripture what they call justification. That's the result of being saved. But then they have another term called sanctification. Sanctification is working out that salvation that is inside of you. But remember this, sanctification does not affect your justification. 
In other words, I'm not saved because I've been working out my salvation. I'm not saved because I'm obeying God. I'm not saved because of that. But when I do that, I release the salvation that is inside of me. Because if you don't get that right, here's what you'll do. You'll say to yourself, well, if I don't live a certain level, I probably won't even go into heaven. The reality is we don't go to heaven because we have good behavior. We go to heaven because we're justified before God. We believed on him and we were born again. Amen? All the rest of it, working it out, all has to do with the rewards of your faith here. When you work out your salvation, you get rewarded. Sometimes you get healed. Sometimes you get an extra bill paid supernaturally. Sometimes you get an opportunity that opens up for you. Sometimes there's just a miraculous thing that happened because you believe God. That's the rewards of faith. But a lot of people put them together and they go, well, my behavior is, is, is really what it keeps me saved. No, what keeps you saved is believing in Christ Jesus and his righteousness was given to you. And Jesus is the one that determines that. Can you say amen? You're not going to do anything that gets you saved. You're going to believe in Christ. That's what you said. The only way a person loses their salvation is not because of their behavior. They do it because they reject Christ who saved them. That's the only way a person loses their salvation. Amen? Amen? And you see this particularly, if I could use the judgments in the scripture. You have the judgment seat of Christ, which is for believers. And then you have the great white throne judgment is for those who died without Christ. Notice the difference. The judgment seat of Christ is in Hebrews, the ninth chapter. It says those who eagerly wait him and says that Jesus will appear without sin for salvation concerning these individuals. In other words, he, those who are saved, Jesus is going to appear, he's going to come back, he's going to judge us, but it's going to be without sin. Sin's not going to be the issue. He's going to judge you according to your works of faith, whether or not what you believe for down here gives you an eternal reward. Amen? That's the judgment seat of Christ, but the great white throne judgment is a completely different story. In that judgment... All those who died without Christ stand before God, and they are judged whether or not they're going to have eternal life or be cast in the lake of fire based on whether they were good enough or what they did in their life. And it says that the books were open, they were judged, and then if their name was not found in the Lamb's Book of Life, and by the way, in the Greek, that's a first-class sentence, which means there was no one's name that was found in the book at that judgment. And they were cast in the lake of fire. So it didn't matter how good they were. No one's good enough to get to heaven. Can you say amen? You say, why are you preaching this? Because of one reason. Our salvation needs to be worked out by faith. We need to work out the rewards of faith. Work out the promises of God. Work them out in our life. We need to believe God for what he promises in the word. So that our salvation then can be displayed in the life that we live in and secure us later during the judgment seat of Christ so that we get eternal rewards. Did you know that if you ask for something in faith and you receive it in this life, in the life to come, you'll get an eternal reward from that. So if you don't use your faith and don't work out your salvation, 
you're not going to get those eternal rewards. Hallelujah. Let me answer this question. This troubles me a long time. Why is it when we read in our Bibles, Mark eleven twenty four, 24, it says, whatever, it says, therefore, whenever you, whatever you pray and ask, believe that you receive it and you shall have it. Why is it that Christians don't pray for things? We pray that people get saved. Sometimes we pray for healing. But how many people pray for things? Oh, I don't want to be materialistic. Listen, it's, it writ, wrote it the way it was written so that we'd pray for healing. So do we pray for finances? So we'd pray for opportunities? So we pray for that car you need to take your kids around in? So that you pray for that house that you need to fill up all the rooms of all those little regrets you got? But most Christians don't believe. They go, I'm going to heaven. I'm going to do the best I can on my wages. God wants you to use your faith and believe God. I believe God for parking spots. I believe God for cars. I believe God for uh, extra money on vacation. I believe God for all kinds of stuff. And the church needs to do the same. Well, pastor, I've asked, but did you ask the way Jesus said to ask? He said, whatever you pray and ask for, believe that you receive it. Most people, when I pray for them, I ask them, well, did you receive it? Have you received your healing? And they say something like this, well, I don't feel like anything's changed. And most people don't believe they receive until they see something change or they feel something different in their body. Most people. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's not talking about the Thomas kind of faith. You remember in the Bible, after the resurrection, Jesus had appeared to his disciples. Remember that over in John's gospel? And Thomas wasn't there. I don't know what he was doing, but he wasn't there. And Jesus appeared to him, and afterwards, Thomas came in, and they said, we've seen Jesus. He's risen. And here's Thomas' response. I'm not going to believe till I see the, uh, the marks in his hand and I put my finger in one of the holes there and I stick my hand in his side. I'm not going to believe until that happens. Eight days later, it says, that Jesus appeared and there was Thomas. He said, Thomas, look at my nails. Now, obviously, I'm paraphrasing. Put your finger in my hand and stick your hand in my side. And then he says, quit being unbelieving and start being believing. And then he made this statement. He said, Thomas, you've believed because you see. But blessed are those who believe without seeing. You got to believe you receive it before you ever see anything happen to you in your life. The first time that I ever practiced that verse was at our church. I'd been saved just a little while, and we were going to a young person's uh, event. It was at a pool, and on my job, I had been working in construction, and I had this tumor on my hand that was about an inch tall, hard as a rock, and uh, I was going in to have it cut out, and I came across this 
verse and I said, Lord, I'm just going to believe I receive. I'm just going to believe I got my healing. I know I can't see any change, whatever. I'm just going to go ahead and believe I receive. And I remember the night went on. All of a sudden, I walked outside, and I looked at my hand, and the bump was completely gone. I got so excited. People started coming out, and I started sharing with them. I just got healed. Praise God. It was right there. It's gone now. Praise God. And people were looking at me like a dog at a new bone. But most Christians won't believe unless they feel something first. What you need to do is believe the way the Word says. Believe according to the Scriptures. Amen? Amen. I said according to the Scriptures. And it will manifest because God can't lie. Amen? God can't lie. See, here's the part I think sometimes we miss. We're always looking for some reason to say it was God. It's him. That's why I didn't get it. It's God. If it was God's will, God would have done it. And we project that. Yet in the scriptures, you don't find that. Remember when the disciples were unable to cast out that demon? Remember that? And Jesus said to him, he said, the reason why you couldn't do it is because of unbelief. Jesus in his own hometown could not do any mighty miracles because of the unbelief. He had the spirit without measure. So here's the disciples. They know the will of God. They know what God's told them to do. But they're unable to be successful. Not one of them said, well, did God change his mind about it? Maybe it was God's will to cast out demons last week, but this week it's not. None of them said it. Now, I know when you preach this, people get offended Because are you trying to tell me I'm not healed because I didn't believe? Yes, I'm trying to tell you that it's never God's fault. Never. I said it's never God's fault. If something doesn't manifest that God promises would manifest, we can't look at him. It's God's for some reason, some mystery. God is doing this. We can't do that. We have to say, Lord, the problem has to be me. It can't be you. Because that's what the word says. Now, I know people say, oh, yeah, but, but pastor, you don't know about Paul's thorn in the flesh. Yes, I do. I've studied intensely. Paul's thorn in the flesh was not sickness and disease. It was persecution is a term used in the Old Testament. When Israel had not destroyed all the enemies in the promised land, they became thorns and thistles in their side. Paul had unusual persecution in his life. Had nothing to do with sickness and disease. Come on, everyone. Give God praise right now. This is good preaching. But I wanted you to see that, and I also want you to see that sometimes our faith doesn't come through because we doubt, but sometimes it doesn't come through because we're disqualified. In other words, there's conditions to certain promises. If you don't meet the conditions, you can't claim the promise, can you? Give you an example. Isaiah 119 says, if you're willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. Which means I don't have the right to ask for God's best in my life if I'm not giving him my best. In other words, whatever he told me to do, if I do it with a bad attitude, I can't ask and expect to receive God's best. That's the condition. If you're willing and obedient. Amen? So rather than looking for this mystery thing that for some reason God doesn't want to do it, we need to be saying, Lord, I'm going to do my part. 
Because I know if I knew my part, the Bible says to hold fast without wavering the hope that we have in Christ. Our faith has hope that it will manifest. He says, for God is faithful to perform it. If God's faithful, it means that he'll do it every time. Just like if somebody says, I'll pick you up, take you to work uh, Monday through Friday. If they're faithful, they'll do it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. God will heal Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. He doesn't change. He doesn't change. And I'm not saying that to get on anybody. We love people. And there's things in my life I haven't seen the results I wanted. But I'm not going to say it's God. I'm going to say there's something I'm missing that I need to add to this scenario because God is faithful. How can you say God's faithful when he doesn't come through for you? But you can say he's faithful when he does every time. Amen. Amen. Now, what I'm going to do in this message is I'm going to give you some things that I call unnecessary trouble. Because a lot of times people will believe for something, and because they don't practice this other part of the word, it creates unnecessary trouble. It's almost like in a, a war. You got all your, your army out in the front, and they've got this battle line, and they're holding it down. And then the enemy comes over, and he attacks over there, he attacks over there. And all of a sudden, you weaken your front line to go take care of them, and all of a sudden, you're overwhelmed, and you lose the battle. Saint does the same thing with us when we have unnecessary trouble. Some trouble you're going to have to face, but there's some trouble that's unnecessary. I want you to write this down. You'll find this over in a really powerful uh, uh, text or in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 12 through 15. These are things that would create unnecessary trouble. It says this. It says a worthless man or a wicked man... He says, he says that he will walk with perver uh, a perverted mouth. In other words, the words that come out of his mouth will be destructive in his life. Now, I want you to see the connection between his actions and his words. I'm going to teach you something here. People are always trying to get better habits. You don't change the behavior first. You change what you're saying first. Because what you say creates the action. So if you say, I'm speaking the wrong things, then renew your mind. Change the way you think. Get it according to the word of God. And you'll stop saying what you're saying, which is creating. Ever meet somebody that had a terrible temper? Listen to him when he's not mad. He'll be thinking in a way that you don't think. He'll be thinking in a way, always trying to find fault, always trying to find something wrong with something. And now you know why he explodes with a bad temper. Because of perversion that comes out of his mouth. And in the same text, it goes on the next verse, it says this. It talks about body language. It says this individual will wink with his eyes and he'll move his feet around and he'll point with his fingers, talking about bad body language, which is the result of what he's saying. And then it makes this statement. 
It says that his heart is deceitful, and he'll continue to do this. And then it says that he sows discord or disharmony. And then it says calamity will come upon him suddenly without a remedy. Now, don't get excited. So you see this. In other words, it's an individual that sows discord. When you sow discord, it's going to come back on you. It's going to create a unnecessary trouble in your life, and it's going to neutralize your faith. It's going to make your faith ineffective if that's what you do. I'll give you an example. How many got a friend that's struggling with something? Say their marriage. When you're counseling them, don't side with the one that you're talking with. Don't side with them and go, yeah, he's a jerk. He should treat you better than that. You're sowing discord in that relationship. If you want me to go home, are you going to get a hold of this? I know you're going, I don't know about this, Pastor. I know this isn't that exciting. I want you to hear this because a lot of Christians sink their ship simply by the perversion that comes from their mouth. It's not so much they're doubting what they're believing for. It's this added trouble in their life. And Solomon, he says that if you do this, suddenly calamity will come upon you without a remedy. And now you've got two problems. You got the problem you're believing for, and you got the problem you created by your own mouth. Hallelujah. Proverbs, let me, let me say this gossip is spreading rumors and private facts about a person in your life, and it always comes back on you. Proverbs 10 18, it says this it says, Anyone that conceals hatred is a liar, or anyone that spreads slander is a fool. You know what slander is? Slander is when you state many times misinformation that is destructive for someone that you know. And it doesn't even have to be misinformation. It can be true and you just spread it. But why would you spread it? Because actually in reality, you're angry about it. You're angry about that person. So you want to destroy their credibility by what you say. Now, the beautiful thing about this is it could all be corrected. You can, you can not have a bad temper. You can be blessed. Amen? Amen? I want you to listen to this because what I'm about ready to share with you is so important. In a church, one of the things that you need to do is have friends in the church, people that you can talk to and whatever. And here's what happens if an individual confides in you and you tell someone about what they confided in you, and we usually do it like this. I'm going to share this with you, but don't tell anybody. We at that point are really in a bad spot because in a church, the Bible says, confess your faults one to another that you be what? Healed. So what happens when you confide in somebody and then you share it with someone else and they hear about it, whatever, then they go, I don't trust anybody anymore. But yet that's the very thing necessary for divine healing in many cases. So if you say, I won't share it with anybody, 
And that may be what you need to get healed. Can you say amen, everybody? So if you got a friend, make sure the friend is character. Because here's, here's what happens. When somebody can, confides in you and gives you information, something that no one else knows, you've just given that person power over your life. Power. But power that isn't controlled by character will destroy you. You got to have strong character to do that. Because if you use it wrong, you can be very destructive with that person. And remember, it always comes back on you. Amen? Amen. So I don't want any added trouble in my life. I got to face the devil off enough as it is. I got to cast out devils enough as it is. I got to deal with problems enough as it is. I don't need an additional problem. I don't want to weaken my troops and send them out over here and get weak and not be able to handle it because I got so much coming at me in my life. I got to make sure that what comes out of my mouth. And what I'm preaching to you, every one of us have practiced. Don't look at me like it's never happened to you. Come on. We do it spiritually. I got to tell you this. I know you can pray about it if I tell you about it. And all we really do is participate in gossip. What do you think? What? This is something I've studied when watching news, newscasters. Do you ever notice they don't stay in the position that long? It isn't always because of ratings. Some of them die. Because a lot of the things newscasters say, they don't have the facts on it. They're just spreading rumors. And what works in church also works outside the church. When you start saying things you have no, that you do not have facts on, it is going to have a consequence in your life. And it isn't always good. Amen? Now, let me, let me cover another area here. This is what we would call swearing or cussing. Write this down, Romans 3, 13 and 14. It says this, their throat is an open tomb with their tongue. They practice deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Notice the bitterness is connected with the cursing. Just thought I'd say that. Now, y'all, most of you know my testimony. I got saved. I used to cuss like an old sailor. It was so bad that once I got saved, I didn't know how to talk. I had to, I get, I had to add vocabulary. It was either a four-letter word. You know what I'm talking about. Come on. And, but once God changed my heart, that bitterness was gone. That didn't mean that I've never swore since then. That's not what it means. But it means I was changed. There was a change there. Now, I want to show you this because I want you to see this. Psalms 109, verse 17 and 18. I wanted to have them put it up on the screen because I want you to see this. This is going to help your children. It's going to help your, your marriage, help your job. Look what it says. As he, loved, uh, as he loved cursing, so let it come to him. As he did not delight in the blessing, so let it be far from him. Look at the next verse. As he clothed himself with cursing as with his garment, so let it enter his body like water and like oil into its bones. Do you ever notice something about oil and water? They don't mix. You can't mix cursing and blessing together. Now, here's the million-dollar question. 
Why do we curse the things we want blessed? Why do we curse our spouse because we're mad at her or mad at him when we want our spouse to be blessed? Why do we curse our job when we want our job to give us raises and bonuses and provide all the benefits that we need? Why do we curse that? Why do we curse the things that we want blessed? That's what this verse is saying, that you can't have the oil and the water together. It just will not mix. If you're, if you're losing your temper with your wife and you're saying cursing and all that stuff towards your kids, instead of blessing them, you're cursing them. You can't bless someone that you're cursing. You can't mix them together. A good example of this is if you remember the story of Balaam. He was a prophet. And Balaam was a very wealthy king that wanted to hire him to curse Israel. And he got him and he tried to do it several times. He couldn't do it. The blessing just came on him. But you know what he did with his corrupt mind? He said, I can't curse them because God's blessed them. But they can curse themselves if I can get them to be tempted. So they sent all these loose women in, remember? They started fornicating with them and whatever. And that's how the curse came on them. It wasn't because uh, of what the prophet said. It, the, so you personally have the power to let a curse come on you, but you're the only one. The devil can't curse you. Amen? You can curse yourself by cursing someone else. If I'm on the freeway and I cut in front of you and you curse me, you're not cursing me. You're cursing yourself. That's what it's saying. It comes back on you. Isn't this exciting tonight? I can tell you're really worked up about it. This is one of those big keepers you want to get in your mind. But we have to be people that bless those who despitefully use us. We need to bless our wife when she don't understand. And you need to bless your husband when he don't understand. And you need to bless your children when they don't think right. And you, come on, you got to bless, you got to bless, you got to bless, because whatever you bless comes back on you. And if, you, if you're always cursing, always upset, always saying this and saying that, it says right there, it's going to come back on you. You can't have the mixture that many of you can have. Hallelujah. Thank you for that weak applause. I do appreciate that. Amen. Now, let me show this to you from an illustration and show you the power in this. You remember when God spent the, sent the 12 spies into the promised land because that's what God wanted to give them, a land that flowed with milk and honey, a place that is very wealthy and blessed. And remember, they came back and 10 of the spies had a bad report, and they said, we're a grasshopper, there's giants in the land. Who were the giants? That's the question. Who were the giants? They're the offspring of Goliath. That's who the giants are. It's the tribe that Goliath came out of. We're talking people that were nine feet tall. Now, my question is this. Why did God give them a land that had giants in it? Because he gave them something that no one else could take but him. In other words, only by God's power could you get it. Think about moving into homes that a nine-foot man lives in. The ceilings are high. The bed isn't small. It's huge. They got the big TV set. That's a little TV set. Come on, everybody. In other words, everything would be more of a blessing. 
it'd be a bigger blessing. But they, they, were, they had a bad report, not a good report. It was only Joshua and Caleb had a good report. And they weren't denying the reality of the problem. They just said, God is bigger. The mountain's big, but God's bigger than the mountain. The problem's terrible, but God's bigger than the, than the terrible. That was the difference. I'm not telling you to deny the reality of the sickness, deny the reality of the financial problem. I'm not telling you to do that. I'm just telling you that God is bigger than all of that. And when you got a good report, you say, hey, praise God, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Hallelujah, Jesus. But do you see that this is one of the reasons why we disqualify ourselves for the promise? It's because of these other little things. Now, the good news is this. When you do something you don't know it's sin, uh, God will not hold you accountable for it. But after tonight, you're accountable. Amen? And so that will give you the advantage that you need to get the breakthrough in your life that you want. I'm going to give you two verses in closing. Psalms 37.4, Isaiah 58, verse 13 and 14. One of my favorite verses says, it's delight yourself in the Lord and the Lord shall give you the desires of your heart. This is a really powerful verse. Delight yourself in the Lord. The question is, how do you delight yourself in the Lord? How is it that God could give me anything that I desire? Because, you know, sometimes I might desire something that's wrong. So how, how, does, how does that work? It's all in the phrase, delight yourself in the Lord. If you read the text in Isaiah 58... It talks about how people were to delight in the Lord. And it puts it in the context of the Sabbath. In other words, put aside what you want to do and go worship me. Put aside what you've been saying and start putting my word in your mouth. That's what it talks about. And it says, those who delight themselves in the Lord or put the Lord first, his word first, it says, God will cause you to ride in high places. Thank you, Woo, praise God. Putting the word first. And so it's great about some people go, well, pastor, you know, I had this desire when I wasn't saved. And I don't think any desires that I had when I wasn't saved, God will give it to me. That's not always true. All the people Jesus healed were people that were not saved. They weren't born again. They weren't filled with the Spirit, and he healed them. There are some desires that are God's will even when you're not saved. Amen? And the thing is, if you go to the Word and put the Word first... Even if you had a desire that was wrong, like, you know, obviously you can't uh, ask God for someone else's wife when you're married or someone else's, uh, you know, husband if you're married. But everything else, if you line it up with the word, the word like purifies the desire because you're going to the word of God to find out what God's will is first and you make all the desires subject to it. That's what he means. Delight yourself in the Lord or put my word first in your life and then I'll give you every desire of your heart. Someone out of shout hallelujah. That's good preaching. But that's what it's talking about in that text. And I love it because you know, God is so merciful, and he never tells us the end of a problem without giving us time to change before the end comes. You remember the story of Moses? 
man, he goes into the Pharaoh, and the Lord tells him, tell him that to let go of, of my son, or I will kill your firstborn. That was before there was even one plague that broke out in Egypt. God told him, here's what's going to be the end of the story if you don't cooperate with me. If you don't submit to me, here's what's going to happen. And he told him the end result. So he had 10 judgments that came that the Pharaoh could have changed his ways and accepted the word to avoid that last judgment that was going to call on. Isn't God merciful? And God does the same thing with us. He tells us, okay, here's, here's what's going to happen. If you're a slanderer, here's what's going to happen. If you have perverseness come out of your mouth, here's what's going to happen. And yet, God tells you the end result so that we can stop. Go, All right, man, I'm going in the wrong direction here. I've been so negative about my job. I've been so negative about my marriage. I've been so negative about my kids. Man, I've been cursing the very thing I want blessed in my life. And then you start to pray differently and start to bless and start to reach the promises of God and receive the promises of God in your life and you can begin to shout unto the Lord with a voice of triumph. Whoa! That's what God wants every one of us to do. He wants us to have a powerful prayer life where we believe we receive before we ever see it, before we ever feel it, before we ever think things change, based on his word. That's why you're in church tonight. It isn't just to drop off your kids. It is to learn what you can have in Christ. I've seen people get swimming pools with this Bible. I've seen people get huge homes with this Bible. I've seen supernatural opportunities come from praying in faith. I've seen miraculous things happen to people who believe they had it before they saw it and seen it, simply because that's what Jesus said. I don't know about you. I'm excited about it. Standing feet, everybody. Consider what I'm saying. Why do you think it says to pray without ceasing? And why is it that most people don't pray that much? Because they don't believe for things. You start believing for things, start believing for souls, start believing for these, all these promises in the word, and man, you'll be, you'll be in a state of, you'll have a state of consciousness of prayer wherever you go. You got things coming. But if you go, oh, I'm just praying I get to heaven, you, if you believe on Christ, you already have eternal life. Don't get concerned about that. Be more concerned about how you can bless your family with the promise of God. How you can bless your community with living right. Be concerned about that. Think about the goals and the dreams that are just a faith away. They're just a request away. They're just a, they're just, they're that close. Get it in your heart. Man, it'll change you. Just one miracle propel you for 80 years. Hallelujah. I think the problem with Americans, we have the wrong perspective. Let's just make, make enough money so we can retire and sit around and watch TV all day. That's not what, no, don't retire until you're dead. If you want to do what you want to do when you're retired, great, but do something. Do something for Jesus. Believe for something. And God will bless you. Father, bless your people tonight, Father, and thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for instilling us, Lord, what your word teaches. And whatever our need is right now, Father, we thank you 
We're going to search the scriptures and find out what your word says about it. If you need healing in your body tonight, I want you to put your hand up to heaven right now, and I want you to believe you receive it tonight. Without feeling anything, without seeing anything, call it out. Just say, Father, I'm asking right now in the name of Jesus, I receive my healing that you provided for me 2,000 years ago. I am leaving with it in my spirit. I have a spiritual healing right now. I received it on Wednesday night at 8:12, and I have it right now, and I'm going to hold fast to it until it manifests in my life. Someone ought to give God praise right now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Woo, man. Thanks for listening today. For more messages like this one, check out our podcast, River App, and our website at theriver.church. We're the river, and we're doing life together.